Open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 13. First Corinthians 13. What is the most valuable thing in the world? I'm not saying who is the most important. That's God. He is the preeminent one. But what is the most important thing? What is the most precious aspect of this life? What gives life value and meaning? Well, we're in 1 Corinthians 13, so you might have guessed that the Bible says it's love. Love is the most important thing. A marriage without love is just an agreement between a man and a woman to be roommates. Parents without love are just unpaid child care workers. A church without love is just a social club. Christianity without love is dead legalistic ritual religion. A person without love is isolated, is lonely, is relationally impoverished. A life without love is meaningless and the universe is just a naturalistic machine. But friends, the Bible teaches that God is love. And his love, therefore, gives. It gives meaning to life, value to our existence, and purpose each day. God's very nature is love. And so he loves. In love, he created our material and then even the immaterial existence. His love designed us to image him so we could have the capacity and the capability to love. He even gave companionship so that we could love. God created male and female and join them together in marriage so that there could be this companionship of love. God's greatest delight, God's greatest command is to love. Love him with all your heart and your mind and your strength and love your neighbor as yourself. And therefore, the great priority, the greatest priority of our life must be be to love. And not just any type of love. It's God's kind of love. It's a love that gives, a love that sacrifices, a love that truly cares and that genuinely wants to benefit the other person. A love that denies self, a love that comes from God. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 31, God says that the most excellent way to live is love. And you see that explained in chapter 13. 1 Corinthians 13 is often read at weddings, 
Many times it's applied to romantic relationships and family bonds. You can get a Hallmark card and probably read some verses from 1 Corinthians chapter 13. But do you realize actually that in context, 1 Corinthians 13 is written for the local church? It's speaking about our love for one another. Remember, we're in a series called Worship Matters in the Local Church. And 1 Corinthians 11 through 1 Corinthians 14 talks about how we should worship God when we gather as a church and what matters when we gather. In 1 Corinthians 11, we learned, learned that God's order of authority matters. It matters that we unify around the Lord's table. In chapter 12, we learned that the Spirit's gifts matter in the local church and therefore church members matter. Because the gifts are to be used to, to build up one another. We are the body of Christ. And each member is to build up another member according to the Spirit's gifts. We saw in 1 Corinthians 12 that there are these different gifts that you have. There's some who have the gift to teach and some to help and some to administrate, some to lead, some to encourage, some to equip. But all of this is done for the sake of spiritually building up each one of you out here. So we can be the body of Christ. We can be like Christ as a local church. Now, after you get done reading 1 Corinthians chapter 12, one might conclude that, that a healthy church is determined by the gifts they have. Maybe a, a, a good, healthy church is one that has a big church budget. You might conclude that it's an amazing music program. You might hear a, a program and think, well, that, that must be a good church. They must be doing something right. Or maybe they have an awesome kids ministry or they have highly gifted, educated teachers or there's a lot of activity in the church. Many people evaluate churches based upon their gifts or the effect of their gifts. But actually what we see here in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 that we are to evaluate the church not based upon the gifts but about the love that is ministered through the gifts. It's not just about the gifts. It's about using our gifts with love. In fact, he goes in this passage even as far to say that if your, if your ministry is not motivated by love, if you're not using your gifts in love, your efforts are a big waste of time. And why is that? Because God isn't in that ministry. You say, how do you know that? Because God is love. And if God was the one fueling that ministry, you would genuinely care for those people. And so this text teaches us here, 1 Corinthians 13, that love for one another matters. And it matters the most. It's the most important thing. The big idea, I think, of this text here is that love must be your most important priority. Love must be your most important priority. It's not about getting the job done. That's for those workaholics out there. It's not just about having everything be perfect. That's for those control freaks out there, perfectionists. It's not just looking good for other people. That's for the people who are working to please others. It's not just about 
my comfort and my way, and that's for every American, right? It's actually about love. This text predominantly applies, I think, to the local church, but it does extend out to our marriages, to our friendships, to our schools, our places of work. I think of it like the text thinks of it. Think of it like a human body. You know, you got up this morning and you combed your hair, if you have hair, and you shaved your face if you're a guy and you got your clothes on. And the point is, as we talked about last week, you took care of your body. And after you did that, you were able to come here and, and help other bodies, other people, right? And, and that's how I, I think this is to be looked at in this text right here. And that is, when you come to a local church like this, we are a local body of Christ. There must be a love that we have for one another. And, and then we go out as the body of Christ and love our community and love those people in our workplace. There's really, I, I look at it at two levels of love for one another. First and foremost, there must be a, a special, a special love that you have as a local church, that we have as a local church. In fact, one could argue that your love outside of the church can only be effective to the degree that your love in the church is sweet and nurturing and healthy. Because as we are a healthy body, then we can go out as Christ's body and we can love our community. We can love those who maybe even some who might not like us, some who might even hate us. I see this in Galatians chapter 6, verse 10. There's other texts. So then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially the priority to those who are of the household of faith, speaking of a local church. So 1 Corinthians 13 was written for the local church, but it does therefore extend to our other relationships, and I think we can appropriately apply them to those relationships. So I'm going to read 1 Corinthians 13. Think about it in that context. Would you stand with me as we read God's word? 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I'll read the text of scripture aloud. This is the word of God inspired by the Holy Spirit. I'm actually going to start at the end of chapter 12, verse 31. And I will show you a still more excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. 
For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. This is the word of God. You may be seated. I want you to imagine the church in Corinth. This church was a church like none other. 1 Corinthians 12, 28 informs us that this church had amazing spiritual gifts. They had individuals who were gifted to do miracles. They had individuals who had the gift of being able to heal other people. They actually had apostles, primarily the apostle Paul, who was a pastor of their church. I mean, and during the week, you know, he's working on tents, but also He's writing Holy Scripture. You know, Paul, what are you doing? I'm writing to the Thessalonian church. I mean, think about they had gifts like Apollos. Acts 18.24 says Apollos was educated in the scholarly city of Alexandria. I mean, it's like saying this guy went to Oxford and got his PhD there. The Scripture says that he was an eloquent man, competent in the Scriptures, They had people who were gifted to be able to speak other languages that they did not know themselves. The person who was speaking did not know. They had people who had the ability to be able to interpret those languages so other people could know what was going on. I mean, here you have a church that is is uber spiritually blessed. If you were to walk in that church, you might think to yourself, this is the best church in the world. But here's the problem. This church did not have love. They were bickering. They were fighting. They were gossiping. They were at each other's throats. They were divided. They had every spiritual gift, even the sign gifts of miracles and healing and tongues, but they didn't have love. And so Paul wrote 1 Corinthians 13 actually as a rebuke to them to point out that their ministry was empty. It was godless because it lacked God's love. And it's not that Paul wanted them to stop exercising their gifts. It's not that Paul is saying your gifts are bad, love is good. No, he's saying use your gifts, pursue the gifts, but use them in love. In fact, look at 1 Corinthians 12, 31. Notice he actually commands them to, verse 31, earnestly desire the higher gifts. What are the higher gifts? Well, they're the gifts at the top of the list. Verse 28, the high gifts are apostles, and those are already done away. So the left two, I'm sorry, the two remaining gifts that are in operation today are prophecy and teaching. And if you look down in 1 Corinthians 14.1, you can see that. 1 Corinthians 14.1, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. And so prophecy literally was speaking forth God's word. So it was not that Paul wanted them to stop using the gifts, but he's saying, listen, 
earnestly desire the higher gifts, but make sure you're utilizing those gifts with love. In verse 31, he therefore says that I want to show you a more excellent way. This is the best way to live. This is the highest way to live. It's in love. So 1 Corinthians 13 speaks of the love of God. Here, here is the outline I have for this week, and then it really will be for the next number of weeks that we are speaking from 1 Corinthians 13. 1 Corinthians 13 answers why love must be the priority in our relationships, why love must be the priority in our church and in our homes and in our marriages and in our friendships. And verses 1 through 3 instruct that love must be your most important priority because love gives life and ministry value. Now, I say life and ministry as if they're two separate things, but I put them in there because most people think of them as two separate things. But the truth is, my philosophy of life is life is ministry. Everything we do in life is to be for the Lord. And then four through seven teach that, that love must be your most important priority because love edifies. And then last, we will see in verses 8 through 13 that love lasts forever. But, but notice the operative word in this text is love. I think it's so important for us to understand what this word means. Because we use love, especially in the English language, we use it in so many different ways, right? I love donuts. I love basketball. I watched a lot of basketball this week, probably more than I should have. I love basketball. I love the Indiana Hoosiers. They're still in the tournament. I think about this note right here. This is a note from Jill to Jack. Dear Jack, I love you. No words could ever express the Great unhappiness I have felt since I broke up with you. Please take me back. I love you. The hopeful love of your life, Jill. P.S. Congratulations on winning the lottery. <laughs> right? Clearly, her idea of love is selfish. It's me-centered. It's what I want. It's a, it's a lustful love. And so in the English language, we can use the word love in many different ways. In, in the Greek language, there are four primary words used for love. There's the word eros. Eros uh, is the root word of the English word erotic. Eros was a sensual, a physical, a sexual love. Another word used for love was phileo, and you can hear that in Philadelphia. It's family love. Or I should say it's friendship love. Wrong one. Friendship love. It's brotherly love. It's the idea that, that this is my friend. In fact, in the noun form in the New Testament, it's always translated as friend. The third type of love is storge. Storge describes a natural family love, a, a relationship that maybe a, a brother and sister would have with each other or a father would have to his son or a mother to his to her daughter, or even a husband will have to his wife. It's, it's a natural, in other words, the order of things, how God put a family together, how God expects them to operate and to be together. In the New Testament, this is actually found twice, and it's actually in the negative. It's a-storge, or without family love. It's in Romans 1, 31, 2 Timothy 3, 3, and it describes people who participate in unnatural family love. In other words, sinful relationships like incest and homosexuality. And so it's an unnatural family love. It's not how someone is to operate in a family. And the last type of love 
is agape love. Agape love is the word that's used to describe God's kind of love. It's, it's the word in 1 Corinthians 13 that's used of love. Agape describes a love that sacrifices for someone else. It, it denies oneself for the good of another person. It's an affection towards someone that is deep, that, that is sincere. It's a love that acts. And agape love describes who God is and also what God does. In fact, we went to this passage earlier, but would you go to 1 John 4? Ankles read this passage in our scripture reading, 1 John 4. I want you to see this briefly, because as we go into 1 Corinthians 13, we need to understand what this agape love is, and really God is the source of love, and he is the one who defines this agape love. So 1 John chapter 4, look in verse number 7. We're not going to read the whole text, but I want you to notice that God is the source of love. It's his nature, and therefore he acts according to his nature. Verse 7, beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. He's the source. Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. In other words, in order for you to love, you have to be born again. God has to change your nature. You ever wondered why people hate each other? Why are marriages falling apart with people arguing and fighting? Why, why is our, our governments corrupt? Like, why does all this happen? It's because people don't have the love of God in their hearts. They have a love for themselves. They have sin in their hearts, and therefore they act according to their nature. They're sinners, so therefore they act as sinners. They sin against God. They sin against others. And so what he's saying here, he's saying, in order for you to really love, you have to have a nature change. That's the new birth. That's the Holy Spirit giving you the gift of a relationship with God, the gift of forgiveness. And so verse number seven, he says, whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Verse eight, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. And then notice down in verse number 10, and this is love. So here's how God defines love. He is love. So how does he love? Not that we loved God, because remember, it wasn't according to our nature. God was the one who had to save us, but that he loved us. He was the initiator and he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. So when Jesus was on that cross, as he cried out to those who are sinners around him, and he prayed to his father, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they do. His prayer was, I, I love them. I want them to come to forgiveness in Christ. And so Jesus hung on that cross because he loved us, and he died taking the punishment for our sin. And so God demonstrated his love for us. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so you think about it this way, it's the, the noun first and then the verb. It's the nature of God. God is love, that's a noun, and then also, therefore, God loves. That's the verb, that's the action. And for us, we must be born again in order to have the action of the love of God. The love of God must be in our hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit in order for us to love other people. That's what Romans 5, 5 says. God's love has been 
poured into our hearts through the new birth, through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And so the point of this is this right here. This is not, 1 Corinthians 13 is not, you need to love Jesus more. You need to love other people more. It's this, God is love. God can change your heart. And if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, he has given you his Holy Spirit. And therefore you are to be empowered by the love of God. The love of God flows through us to other people. And so go back to 1 Corinthians 13. 1 Corinthians 13, agape love is only possible by the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Let me just show this actually briefly. Go to 1 Corinthians 12. Let me just, I guess, prove it from the passage, and then I want to go into the text here this morning. 1 Corinthians 12, look at verse 11. All these gifts, he's speaking about, all these are empowered by one and the same Spirit. So the power for you to be able to love other people comes from the Holy Spirit. In other words, you can't truly have agape love for other people unless the Holy Spirit is empowering you. So it's within a relationship with God. It's depending upon the Holy Spirit. Go down to 1 Corinthians 13. Look at verse 4. Look at this love. That's a noun right there. And then notice is patient. That's a verb kind. That's a verb. And there's 15 verbs that describe the action of love. In other words, when you have the love of God in your heart and when you're depending upon the Holy Spirit, it will respond like verses four through verse eight. But this morning, we're just going to focus on verses one through three. So notice verse number one through three that Paul explains why this agape love is so important. Verse one, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels and have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Love is what God values most. And without love, your ministry is godless. The Corinthians church thought that the the gift of tongues was the most important gift. I mean, they flaunted that around and they thought that that showed how spiritual they were to everyone else. But Paul debunked that. He debunked that self-exaltation by saying in verse 13, verse 1, even if you were able to learn every or to know every language in the world, if God, the Holy Spirit, gave you the gift to be able to speak every language in the world and you ministered the gospel in that way, without love, it means nothing. Look at verse 1. If I speak in the tongues of men. Tongues means languages. It's the ability to speak other languages. So so consider if you had the ability to speak the gospel in all these languages, it would be remarkable. And go even farther than that. He says, what if you were able to speak in the tongues of angels? What language do angels speak? Well, in the Old Testament and New Testament, They are speaking whatever the language of the person they're talking to. So in the Old Testament, it's primarily Hebrew. In the New Testament, it's Greek. So if you love the Old Testament, I had an Old Testament professor that thought that angels speak Hebrew because he loved the Old Testament. But if you're a New Testament professor, you probably think they speak Greek. But the truth is, we don't know what they speak. 
We don't know what language they speak, but they do have some way to communicate. There is some type of language. But let's say that you were able to learn the language of angels. So this is hyperbole. This is extreme exaggeration. He doesn't actually think you could learn every language on earth or that you could learn the language or have not just learn, but actually be gifted with knowing the language of angels and of all people. He's using this hyperbole, these extreme exaggerations to make a point. And the point is, you could be gifted with the most amazing ability to speak. But if you did that without love, your ministry, your words are worthless. He says in verse 1, it's like you're a, a noisy gong. You're a clanging cymbal. What if next week Jorge decided that we were going to replace the piano and the violin, the, the vocalist, with, with a gong. You know, he's the gong player. Bong, you know. And then you had cymbals. And kids love cymbals, don't they? So we just pass out cymbals to all the kids. And we have big cymbals and small cymbals. And our music service next week is just going to be a, a cymbal ensemble. Right? It even kind of goes together a little bit, you know. How long would you stay? <laughs> Not very long. Why? Because it's just a bunch of noise. It's, it's annoying, right? There's, there's no edification that happens from it. So he uses that illustration to say that a person who speaks, even if it's the most eloquent speech, he knows all these languages, he's able to even speak in the language of angels. If it doesn't have love, it's just like a bunch of noise. Speaking in a ministry like this, preaching, teaching in a class, Without love, if I pastor this church, if there's teachers who teach in your class and you teach and you give information and you do it and you don't love the people, all it is is an informational seminar. If the music team leads the singing without love, it's just a performance. It's worthless. It's entertainment. That's one of the reasons why we say if you're going to serve in the music ministry, we want you to be a member. Why is that? Because they're serving us by leading us to love God, to sing out for the Lord. It's not a performance. It's saying they're doing this because they love you. And so therefore, they're part of the covenant community of Lighthouse Bible Church. If you try to encourage someone, or even if you try to correct someone without love, you're actually not really ministering to them. Parents, if you discipline your children without love, then you're just hurting them. Husbands and wives, if you communicate in your marriage without love, you're just going through the motions. Love, God's love, is what should compel us to speak, to minister to other people. Love must be your most important priority because love gives life and ministry value. Notice verse number two. He lists four more spiritual gifts. Verse 2. And if I have prophetic powers. So imagine a person who has the most prophetic powers possible. In other words, he's able to, to speak God's worth forth with the most amazing gifts. I mean, he has the wisdom of Paul, the eloquence of Apollos, the boldness of John the Baptist, the miracles of Elijah, the authority of Moses. You put them all together, and this person walks in the room. I mean, that would be pretty incredible to see that kind of person. But even more than that, you add to that, you understand. I understand all mysteries, 
all knowledge. So again, this is hyperbole, but it's the idea that you're gifted with, with all wisdom. It's like you have all knowledge. You're, you're have omniscience. It's like you have the knowledge of God. And imagine that kind of person walking in here. Again, this is just hyperbole. So this just keeps, keeps escalating in intensity if you have all faith. I have all faith. So here's the gift of faith. And it's not the gift for salvation. It's the gift in 1 Corinthians 12, 9, whereby, whereby you can trust God's word and you help move the church forward by faith. But you, ha- you have the faith of, of Enoch and of Elijah you put, you put all the men of faith. I mean, you have George Mueller. You put all these men of faith together, and it's like this person has more faith, more knowledge, more prophetic powers than anybody else. I mean, this is superhero Christian time, right? This is, this is someone who has super spiritual gifts to the greatest degree possible. And if a person like that walked in this room and they said they wanted to join the church, I mean, we'd probably all cheer, right? And then we'd say, and how long till we make that person an elder, and I might say, how long till that person can be the next pastor, right? Because you're like, this person. But listen, if they don't have love, what does he say? They're nothing. A big zero. Without love, he's nothing. He's like Superman with kryptonite strapped to his body. He's good for nothing. He's like the most skilled kayaker on a river without a paddle, right? He's nothing without his paddle. The most spiritually gifted person without love is nothing, worthless. Why is that? Why is that? Because you don't have God, because God is love. And if he was the true source of your ministry, then what would come forth is love. You would genuinely love those people you're ministering to. Without love, You are nothing. This is not how humans value life and this world. This is not the the value system of this world. I mean, even in the church, sometimes we can adopt the the value system of the world and just look at gifts or the effects of the gifts and say, okay, that's actually a Christian ministry. And even for ourselves, we can say, I'm I'm actually a really good minister because look at how amazing I am. It's pride. I think about a lady maybe who's busy, busy, busy in the church. She, she, she's from six in the morning to midnight, I mean, seven days a week. And some people look at her and they think, wow, she's really amazing. But if she ministers without love, then she's nothing. Or, or think about the, the person who goes to seminary and they get 77 letters behind their name, right? They can read Hebrew backwards, which is actually how you're supposed to read Hebrew, okay? Depends if what well, your opinion on, on backwards is. But anyways, he's, he's really gifted minister of the gospel, but without love, he's just a religious TED Talk speaker. This text text is saying, if you don't have love, if your ministry is not motivated by love, you're a nobody in God's eyes. Verse number three, we must love because love gives life and ministry value. Verse three, this is like the this is like the crescendo at the end of Beethoven's fifth symphony. This, this, is, this is bigger. This is, this is booming. This is, this is as intense as it gets. This is, like, this is like the end of the game. There's two seconds left. And the guy shoots the shot, the last minute shot, and it goes in. Right? This, this is as big as it possibly gets. Verse 3, if I give 
everything. If I give, if I, oh, sorry, I didn't say it the right way. If I give away all I have, if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. I mean, this is a person who is exercising the gift of the spirit of giving, but they're doing it to the most extreme way possible. I and mean, they, they take every possession they have, their 401k, their house. I mean, they, they sell it all. They put it in a fund. They give it to the cause of Christ. And then they give up their life for, for, the, for the cause of Christ. In fact, so much so, they don't just die. They actually are burned alive. Like it's the most excruciating, painful way to die. And they give up their life. And he says, if you did all that, but you don't have love, you've gained absolutely nothing. You might gain some praise from people that might last for a couple of years. Maybe his memory will be carried on for a couple years. But in eternity, his giving was vain because he did not do it in love for God and to love those people. And the scripture here is trying to convince us that ministry without love is valueless. We speak in churches a lot about giving, but how much of that is about loving? Because see, you can give and you can give and you can be void in your heart of the love of God. I mean, some people, they write their check to give to the church, and they do their 10%, and they think, I got my duty. Okay, this is what I'm supposed to do. It's my habit of every week. Or, or a person might even say, I hope someone's noticing me. Whoever's counting, hopefully they look at me and think of how much money I'm giving this week. Sometimes we can think of it that way. And listen, do you realize it's like worthless? It's like going and getting your Monopoly money and going to Elon Musk and saying, hey, can I buy one of your cars? Like he's going to say, uh, <clears throat> Monopoly money, it's worthless. That's what God's saying here. It's like it's all, it's worthless. So what's the answer? Well, let's not give. Is that what it is? No, the answer is this. Let's love God. And here's, here's the truth. If you truly love God, you won't just give. You'll give abundantly. You'll give of your life. You'll give of your time. You'll give of your resources. You will sacrifice your life for Christ because you love him and because you love those people. In fact, if you look through the book of Acts, what you see in the book of Acts is a church that's saved by Christ. God pours out his love through the Holy Spirit into their hearts. And what, how do they respond? They love other people. I mean, just think of some examples through the book of Acts with me. Acts chapter 2, you have 3,000 people who come to Christ and they receive the love of Jesus Christ. The church is filled with love. And what is their response? They're selling their properties and they're sharing with other people. They're bringing it before the, 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 the apostles in the church and they're saying like, give this money out, help people. There, there's priests who came to Christ. They've lost their jobs. And so they're like, help these ones out. There's people who are suffering for the sake of Christ. There's widows there's orphans. Like, how can we help? How can we help? What, what's the, the heart behind all this? Well, they gave because God greatly loved them, and therefore they wanted to demonstrate that same love. Acts chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira, they gave. 
They gave quite a bit, sold their property, and kept half back for themselves, which is not a problem. But they prayed before the church. Look how much we've given. Did they give because of love? Well, not agape love. Right? It was a self-centered love. It was to be noticed by people, and God struck them dead. And why did God do that? Because he wanted the church to know it's not about giving, church. It's about loving God. And in Acts chapter 6, you have these deacons who are appointed, and they're to use their gifts to administrate and to help the church. And why are they doing this? Why are these deacons volunteering? It's because they love God, and they want to love the church. In Acts chapter 7, Stephen gets up and he preaches the gospel to people who, who don't love God. People who actually crucified Christ and he preaches the gospel. Why? Because he loves them. He wants them to know Christ and they don't love him back. They take him outside the city. They stone him. They kill him. And he gave up his life. Was his life gain? Yes. Why? Because he did it in love for God and to love those people. Acts chapter 8, Philip loves souls, so he goes and preaches, and he preaches to the lowliest. He preaches to the, the dirty dogs, the Samaritans. And why does he preach to the lowest people like that? Because he loves them. He wants them to come to Christ. In Acts chapter 8, Simon, the trickster, he wants the gifts of the Spirit. Give me those gifts, Paul, Peter. Give me those gifts. I want those gifts as well. And why did he want those gifts? Oh, I can make a lot of money off of this. Peter said to him, may your money perish with you. He's saying, may your money go to hell with you. It's serious. Why did he speak like that to him? I think Peter spoke that way because Peter wanted to speak the truth, but also Peter loved this guy. He did not want this guy to die in his sins. But this man, Simon, the trickster, the magician, he didn't love God. He loved himself. Acts 9, Paul is gloriously saved, but everyone's like, stay away from that guy. He's the persecutor. Like, you, you killed my mom, right? I mean, Stephen was my friend. We saw what you did. And Barnabas, who is gifted to be an encourager, comes in and says, you know what, Paul, Paul, come here. Let me introduce you to the apostles. And here he uses his gift, and he loves God, and he loves Paul. Acts chapter 9, you have Dorcas, who dies, and here's how she's described, a woman of good works and love, charity. And this woman used her gifts to, to serve widows in the poor. And how'd she do that? She made clothes. And so when she dies, all these women, these widows are around her holding the clothes that she made. And they're crying because they love her. In Acts chapter 12, Pastor James was murdered. Peter was put in prison. And what did all the believers in that local church do, not all of them, but many of them, they gathered in a house and they prayed. Why would they pray for Peter? Because they loved Peter. And the mark of the local church in the New Testament is that the church loved. And it didn't always love, but especially at that time, God corrected it. And when there wasn't love, it hurt. It hurt the church. It hurt those individuals. And so the priority here of each believer is to love. How many times, how many times do we serve people and we complain, right? I'm not saying this because I'm thinking to myself sometimes. You complain, you, you nitpick, you criticize, you look down on people. That's 
not love. And by doing that, your ministry means nothing. Who cares what you've given up for Christ? You are nothing. You've gained nothing. And how twisted are we in our thinking to think that, oh, we, we do this, this, and this for Jesus, and we do it with a bad attitude. We don't do it to love people. And we don't even realize that we're going to get to glory someday, and Jesus is going to say, yeah, that didn't count for anything because I knew it was in your heart. How many Christians gather as a church and they, they come and they sit down and they enter in these doors and they think to themselves, okay, how are people going to serve me today? I wonder if I'm going to like that song. Oh, I didn't really like that song very much. Look how that person is dressed over there. Why doesn't he talk to me? And it's this self-centered desire to be entertained, expecting others to meet my own needs. That's not love. Love enters in and says, okay, God, I love you, and I'm going to love people. How can I bless people today? Where's the person who's sitting by themselves that, that maybe doesn't have someone talking to them? Where's the person who, who needs me to get in their life this week? How can I pray for people this week? How can I give thanks for that person that's serving? Oh, look, at they're serving over there, and no one ever really says anything to them. How can I disciple? How can I love? How can I show God's love? So I think in conclusion, the question, questions we ask is of ourselves is, okay, how am I serving in the church? So think about that. Think about how you serve in the church. And it's not necessarily an official position. I'm just saying, like, how do you interact with other people? And here's the big question. Do you serve because you love God? Because you genuinely love those people. Love is from God. And beloved since God has shown his love for us, let us love one another. Let's pray.